having our very own Jonathan Cho address us in our series, second part of our series, Vital Signs, Pursuing Biblical Truths for a Healthy Heart. He's going to contribute to the conversation. Will you put your hands together and welcome our dear friend, John Cho. Let me just pray for us as we get into the Word this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for this lovely family, Lord. Uh, such an honor and a privilege to be worshiping with this family of worshipers, Lord God. I pray that during this time, Holy Spirit, you would just open up our hearts to the beauty of your word, to the beauty of your presence, Lord God. Lord, in places in our hearts that need healing, in places in our hearts that need restoration, Lord, would there be a word from heaven for each and every single one of us this morning. Lord, that we would be encouraged in our hearts and that we would leave today uh, filled with your spirit and ready to take on a new week in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I'm really excited to be here with all of you this morning. It's always such a joy to serve alongside the, the worship team and to set up from 7.30 in the morning and to be here and just to worship the Lord together. Um, but if you've been with us, we've been going on a sermon series. We just launched it out last week, as Pastor Daryl said, Vital Signs. Pursuing Biblical Truths for a Healthy Heart, and he kind of set the foundation last week as uh, the, the, just setting the, the groundwork for the importance for every believer that we would examine our hearts before the Lord on a regular basis. Because our hearts, as it says in the book of Jeremiah, are deceitful. They're sick. They're desperately sick. So we need to invite Jesus, the great physician, and say, Lord, I want to be honest with you. I no longer want to hide my heart from you, but I want to be honest that there are things that are broken in my heart. Jesus, would you come in and heal me? And so uh, this sermon series is very impactful for me, both to listen to Pastor Daryl last week, um, but also for me to, to prepare for today, uh, because I tend to be a very externally driven kind of person. I don't know if many of you are kind of externally driven. I would guess so since Cambridge is the overachieving capital of the world. You know, people coming to get degrees and all that. Um, but something the Lord uh, has been teaching me over the past year has been that when I kind of evaluate my relationship with God, and, you know, this is a good thing to do to think about, okay, how am I doing with the Lord? I tend to just kind of creep into this mode of looking at what I do for the Lord. Like it becomes this checklist. So, you know, I think, well, you know, I'm doing well with God because I'm serving on Sundays. I'm going to prayer set. I'm doing my evangelism. I got the, you know, the whole checklist checked off. And I believe that the Lord has been wooing my heart in this past year and saying, John, your relationship with me goes far above and beyond just a list of, you know, check boxes to check off. And even if we know, I mean, there's that phrase that uh, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I mean, we all know that, even though technically it's not correct. I mean, Christianity is a religion. James talks about true religion, right? But, I mean, we get the point of that. It's that we have, we, there's no way that we can earn favor with God. No matter how good we are, we don't earn anything with God. But instead, by his mercy, he gives us the righteousness of Christ and so that we're in good standing with him. I mean, we all know that right, if, if we're believers. But at the same time, at least for me, as my life gets busy, as I take on more responsibilities, right, Danielle and I have been going through various life transitions. We've been taking on more responsibilities. I, I start creeping into this mode of, 
Well, Lord, look what I'm doing for you. You know, look at all these things I'm doing. I must be good. My heart must be good. But the Lord has been asking me, John, look at the state of your heart. Do you have that first love that you once had? Do you have that spark of love in your heart? And so this morning, in terms of a vital sign for a healthy heart, we're going to be looking at the topic of what it means to long for God. Because you see, no matter how many actions we put on, no matter how good we look on the outside, no matter how many boxes we check off, longing for God is an utterly different thing. It's an entirely different uh, world to be in. And for some of us, this is kind of like foreign language. So I hope, I hope today that we'll unpack what does it mean to long for God? What does it mean to have a healthy heart that is alive and desperate for God's presence? And so um, we're going to go to uh, Psalm 84. It's a premier chapter in the Bible about longing for the Lord. So you can go ahead and turn there. Um, we'll also have the, the scripture on the slides behind me. And I'll actually uh, just read through this whole, um, thank you, I'll just read through this whole chapter. And I just pray that the Lord will open this up, that we would, as individuals, begin, begin to see the beauties of having a relationship with the Lord. So Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now this psalm is just chock full of this language of longing, the beauty of God, the yearning for God's presence, the fainting after him. And I know that for some of us, this is kind of like foreign language to us. Depending on the church background you grew up with, or maybe you haven't been in the church for very long, or maybe you even haven't, you know, maybe this is your first day in church, right? So when you see this, this talk of my soul longs and faints, what does that mean? For others of us, we may have experiences uh, being in love with God. Maybe we have past experiences, but the question, the diagnosis of our hearts, the question of the matter is, do we have hearts that long? Do we have hearts that faint for the Lord? And, and that's, you know, that's, that's pretty difficult language. Let's go back to verse one. How lovely is your dwelling place? I mean, do we have that kind of expression, that emotion of, oh Lord, you're so lovely. You just wake up in the morning, you say, God, you're so beautiful today. I mean, how many of us can honestly say that we, can, we have that kind of love and tenderness toward the Lord where we're saying, how lovely is your dwelling place? 
You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon says about this verse, um, you know, the psalmist says, how lovely, but he actually never explains how lovely because he lacks the words. It's like, God, you're so lovely, it's beyond words. How lovely is your dwelling place? It's like this spontaneous just, just expression of love. I, I want to focus on verse 2. This is truly, this language is very intense. Some of us, we just think, you know, my, my relationship with God is just about coming to church on Sundays and, you know, just serving and leading small groups. How about my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord? What is that? You know, I uh, nerded out this week on Blue Letter Bible. Um, Amy Eifler uh, posted about it. I was like, this is amazing. You can actually study the Greek and the Hebrew, and it's, it's just wild. So I just totally nerded out on that this past week. Uh, so I, I was looking up some of these words. This word faint is remarkable because uh, this word kalah, used 206 times in the Old Testament, but only twice is it kind of used in this positive way to say, you know, I faint after you. Now, nowadays in our culture, we say, oh, I'm so in love. I'm fainting with love. But that's not like how it's used in the Old Testament. Uh, it can mean to be finished. So for instance, in Genesis 2.1, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Try to get a picture of what this means to faint for the Lord. It's like, my heart is finished with longing for you. It, it can also mean to be spent or used up. So um, there's this story in the Old Testament uh, when Elijah is asking this widow uh, for bread. And the widow says, well, I don't really have any flour or oil, uh, but the Lord blesses them so that the oil and the flour never run out. How many of you remember that story? Show of hands. Any of you? It's kind of an obscure story. It was one of my favorite growing up. Uh, but but when, when the widow's like, I don't have enough food for you, uh, Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 14 says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jar of flour will not run out. That word is kalah. So basically what kalah means is that it's, it's you're like, you're, when, when the psalmist says, my heart faints for you, it's like my, my, my heart is being spent. It's utterly finished. It's like it's, it's pouring out to the last drop left. It's like, see, I'm just trying to create a picture of how different this kind of longing is from our daily experience. I mean, how many of us can say that, that we faint and we long for the Lord so much that it's like, I'm being finished, I'm being utterly spent for you. In fact, it gets even more intense. It can mean to waste away, to vanish or perish. So Psalm 102, verses 2 to 3, it says, for my days pass away like smoke. They vanish like smoke. So the psalmist is saying, Lord, I'm vanishing. I'm perishing because I want to be with you so much. Or actually the most common usage of this word kalah is to be destroyed or to consume or to be consumed. So for instance, in Job 4.9, by the breath of God they perish and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. That's actually the most common usage of this word in the Old Testament is consumed. It's this picture of, Lord, I long for you so much that my, I'm utterly consumed for you. Charles Spurgeon calls this this inward consumption of longing. It's this burning, and I can't get rid of this. It's just I'm, I'm finished. I'm spent. I'm, I'm, I'm spent to the, even to the last drop with longing for you. I mean, I think when you read this language, I remember the first time that I was kind of introduced to this kind of language in the Bible, 
I mean, it was, it, was, it was bizarre to me. You know, I always thought I was a good Christian, whatever, but all of a sudden I get slammed with these scriptures that talk about something far deeper than just religious activities. How many of us can truly say that we have a heart that longs, that faints for the Lord? You know, I think some of us, uh, I find at least in my own life, that I tend to look to past experiences of God. And that is enough to satisfy me in the present. Like we have this nostalgia, like, oh, the good old days when I used to love the Lord. The good old days when I was encountering his presence. You know, maybe you were in like youth group retreats. You know, you went to Bible camp when you were younger. Or maybe you were an intern at IHOP. Or I don't know, maybe before you got married when you were single, you didn't have kids yet. And you just, yes, I was running for the Lord. But we cannot be content with past experiences of this longing. See, this is the vital sign of a healthy heart. That's what I have to examine. It's not just, am I just fulfilling my religious duties? Like a Christian robot, just here we go again. The same thing over and over. No, it's where is, what is the state of my heart? When's the last time I felt that longing, that burning for God? You know, I'm not saying, okay, so I'm not saying that we need to, I'm, it's, this is not a word of condemnation. I'm also not saying that this is, you know, we need to be 24-7 like longing and just being crushed with longing for the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, on this side of eternity, our love for God is not yet fully perfected, right? So we might not experience that burning on a daily, daily basis. But just because we might not experience that on a daily basis does not mean we lower the standard for our lives and say, well, that's how it's going to be always. Let me just give you like a quick illustration from uh, marriage. I mean, because all Christian illustrations are from marriage, <laughs> You know, with your spouse, it's not like, for those of you that are married, you know that you're not like passionately in love and infatuated with your spouse 24-7. If you are, that's actually a little weird. There's other priorities in your life, but it's not like, oh, I long to be with my husband. Oh, I long to be with my wife every single day, all day long. There's, there's, the, there's the beauty of, of companionship and, and longevity, Right? But for that couple, if they haven't experienced the spark of love, the spark of romance for, let's say, a week, or let's say a month, or even a year, you know, your alarm bells start going off, and you say, what's the state of our marriage now? If, if you go for five years without a spark of romance, there's something seriously wrong. It's this exact same thing with our relationship with God. Some of us are just content with just having a kind of almost, a, I, I, you know, I, this is not an offensive word, hopefully, but just almost a platonic relationship with God. It's just, you know, the daily duties, the religious disciplines, just going to the prayer sets. But when's the last time that we've had that spark of love for the Lord when we said, I'm fainting for you, I'm longing for you. And it's not enough just to look at past experiences and say, oh, there was a time when I was in love. No, the prayer of our hearts is, Lord, would I fall in love with you once again? Lord, would I long for you once again? Lord, would I faint for you once again? And we may not be perfected in that on this side of eternity. But the commandment of Scripture, I mean, think about Jesus. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. We can look at that and say, well, no, that's impossible. That's not reasonable. I'm not going after that. Or we can say, God, 
this is what you have commanded of me. Even if it may not be perfect, you have commanded this of me that you desire the entirety and the totality of my heart. So I'm asking, Lord, I'm asking, would you awaken that longing in my heart once again? Lord, would you awaken that fainting spirit in me once again? Lord, would I desire you once again? That's how I, that's how I evaluate, do I have a healthy heart? And so, you know, I just want us to evaluate this morning. Do we have that heart that longs? Do we have that heart that is fainting after the Lord? I will say this. It it does take a lot of wrestling to even come to... the, the, The whole sermon series is called Pursuing Biblical Truths. Some of you, again, might seem like this is just too extreme. This is radical. It's a biblical truth that Jesus asks us to love him with all of our heart. That is a biblical truth. For me, I grew up in a pretty conservative, reformed kind of background. It was very hard for me to keep, does he really want this kind of desperation? Or is this just for, you know, people like maybe King David? Well, I actually, you know, that question, some of us might think, you know, all this talk of longing for God, fainting after God, this is just too extreme, it's too radical. You know, maybe it's just for people like King David or the Lou Engels or the Bill Johnsons. I'm just a nine-to-five kind of working in the office kind of guy. This is too extreme for me. But I want to show us, I was digging into some of the history here, and I want to show us that God's heart is that the whole family of God will long for him together. That is not just the holy heroes, it's not just the religious elites, but it's every single one of us. And my prayer continually for this house, for this family gathering that we have this morning is, Lord, would not one soul be unaffected? Lord, would not one soul be cold in their heart? But every individual, every individual, every single person that is sitting in a seat today, Lord, that if they believe in you, Lord, that you, would, that you would romance them with your love, Lord, that you would awaken their hearts to hunger. This isn't just for hilltop leadership. This isn't just for the worship leaders. This is for every single one of us that we would have the flame of God's love upon our hearts. And how I started thinking about this is um, if you look at uh, the authors of the psalm, I actually never knew this. I always just assumed that this was by King David. Uh, But it's actually by the sons of Korah. I don't know if any of you know the background story of sons of Korah. It it blew me away. It's actually, uh, I never heard this story before. But the Old Testament actually traces the sons of Korah and, and their genealogy. And if you study their genealogy, I've never been so impacted by genealogy before. It's Quite a remarkable, it's fascinating. So let's actually take a look at some genealogy together. Uh, let's go to First Chronicles 9. Some of you are excited for that. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> genealogy. So there's a long history. I mean, I could talk about this forever, but uh, the sons of Korah, they were, during the time of Moses, uh, they were this, from the line of Levi, and they were basically the setup and breakdown team uh, for, for the tabernacle, because the tabernacle was constantly, constantly moving. If you read Numbers 4, they actually talk about packing up bases and pillars and cords, actually. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, 
these sons, now that we're going there, I'll, I'll go there. So these sons of Korah actually started complaining because they didn't like the setup and breakdown stuff. <laughs> so if you read the story, it's really there. Uh, the sons of Korah say to Moses and Aaron, hey, why, why do you get to be the high priest? Why do you exalt yourselves over us? So they started rebelling, and so the Lord actually consumed them in his wrath. Now, it's actually... <laughs> Join the volunteer team. <laughs> Don't get consumed. <laughs> but it, it was actually the Lord's mercy because he was trying to preserve Israel. Because the sons of Korah were trying to rebel and threaten to mutiny and break apart Israel. But uh, two infants survive in the family, the Lord, you know, through lo the Lord's mercy. Seven generations later, actually, that's the line of Samuel. Uh, but then in, in 1 Chronicles 9, this is a thousand years later, they have the same divine assignment. It's to basically be the setup and breakdown crew for the temple, for the tabernacle. It's the same divine assignment a thousand years later. So in 1 Chronicles 9, it's now during the time of the exile, which is like Daniel and the lions then. During that time, you see a description of the sons of Korah. That whole chapter is basically talking about the sons of Korah. So I'll turn your attention to 1 Chronicles 9, verse 19. 1 Chronicles 9, verse 19. Shalom, the son of Korah, son of Abiasaph, son of Korah, and his kinsmen of his father's house, the Korahites, were in charge of the work of the service, and they were what? They were the keepers of the thresholds of the tents, as their fathers had been in charge of the camp of the Lord. Keepers of the entrance. So just like they had done during the time of Moses, for a thousand years, their divine mandate was to be the keepers of the thresholds. Guess what it says in Psalm 84.10? I would rather be a doorkeeper in the Hebrew that actually is one who stands at the thresholds. So the sons of Korah, their literal divine assignment is to be a doorkeeper. This is not poetic language. This is not King David saying, well, if I were a doorkeeper, that'd be fine, but I'm actually the king, right? This is the sons of Korah. Their divine mandate is to be a humble doorkeeper for generations. Now think about this. When they're saying, I would rather be a doorkeeper, they're saying, Lord, I love your divine assignment over my life. Lord, I love my divine mandate over my life. You have made me a doorkeeper at your tabernacle. I love it. Now you think about this. The, 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 the sons of Korah were not royalty. See, when you think about what they're saying here, I always thought, oh, of course this is King David because, you know, he's the man after God's own heart. No, even the humble doorkeepers. The point of this is that this sort of longing and fainting for the Lord is not just for the high priests. It's not just for the king of Israel. It's from the king of Israel all the way down to the humble doorkeepers. Everybody in between, the call is, as a family of God, will we burn for him? Would we yearn for him? even as doorkeepers. Once you start understanding that the doorkeepers, uh, like this psalm is talking about literal doorkeepers, this psalm completely starts to make sense. See, when you read this, you might think, oh, to long for the Lord, that's so harsh, that's so religious. Or, oh, it's just mystical, it's just for the mystics. No, Psalm 84 is an incredibly practical psalm. Is doorkeepers talking about how they love to be at the temple of the Lord. And this begins to unlock what it means to long for God. It's not an abstract idea. Because you see, what are they longing for? It says in Psalm 84.10, where it says, I would rather be a doorkeeper. What does it say? For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. 
See, they're not longing for an abstract idea. They're longing for the courts of the Lord. And do you know why they long for the courts of the Lord? It's because it's in the courts where they can offer a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. This is actually the pattern. Now, I've entitled this message today, mostly for the audiophile, <laughs> online, as, as the joys of the longing heart. Because if you think of just the longing without the joy then it just seems like this harsh thing. Why are all these people talking about longing for God? Why are they always talking about fasting? Oh, it's so burdensome. But once you realize that the longing is for the joy in the Lord's presence, your whole outlook changes. So let's look at this pattern in Psalm 84. Back to verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place. What are they longing for? It's the dwelling place. See, when I used to read stuff like this, I used to think, oh, this is talking about heaven, which spiritually it is for us. But practically speaking, for these doorkeepers, what they were longing for was specifically the temple in Israel. They were specifically longing for the courts. And then what does it say? Verse 2, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Right? And then uh, verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home. Where does the sparrow find a home? At your altars, O Lord of hosts. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. That's the pattern. It's not just this abstract spiritual thing. We're not trying to make this like for the spiritual heroes. This is a longing for the courts of the Lord. Why? Let's look at, look at verse 2 again. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Why? My heart and flesh sing for joy because it's in the courts of the Lord that our hearts are awakened and we start singing for joy and he begins to put a, a song of praise upon our lips. Right, what does it say in verse 4? Blessed are those who dwell in your house. What? Ever singing your praise. So the pattern is this. We long, not as religious heaviness, not out of just like, I'm going to fast for 40 days. We long for the house. And why do we long for the house? It's for, to sing God's praises. See, this is the pattern that we see throughout the Psalms. You don't have to turn there, but many of you know this Psalm. Psalm 42 also by the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams. Verse 1. So pants my soul for you, O God. Psalm 42, verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Right? There's that expression of this thirsting and this longing after God. Right? But what is driving that longing? See, this, this psalmist in Psalm 42 is struggling through periods of depression, and he calls on his soul, and he says, Hope in God, for I will again praise you. See, it's that longing coming from the praise. So take a look at uh, Psalm, maybe it'll be on the slide. Psalm 42, verse 4. This is what the psalmist is longing for. It's not just a spiritual thing. In a sense of like mysticism or whatever, right? So these things, as I, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. So what is this psalmist remembering? He's remembering how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to where? The house of God. Why? With glad shouts and songs of praise. You see, that's that pattern of we long to be in the house of God so that we can lift up our praises to him. There is power in the praises of God. Many of us think of uh, the worship music as just the appetizer for the preaching of the word. It's not. The, the reality is that things are shifting in the atmosphere when we sing praises to God. And one of the things that shifts is that as we sing to God, he puts that longing for his presence upon our hearts. 
Some of you, if, if you desire this longing heart, but you say, you know, God, my heart is dry. If you desire this longing heart, just open up your mouth and start singing the high praise of Jesus. He will do that in your heart. I actually, uh, you know, because we have so many uh, newcomers filtering in and out of our church, I realize, you know, when we go into worship mode, it can look a little weird. Like, why, why is everybody jumping? You know, why is everybody dancing? Why is there a mosh pit, right? <laughs> you know, I, um, my wife and I, we love, you know, we love our Southern Baptist and Presbyterian brothers and sisters. We really do. Before Hilltop, we actually, were, we almost joined a Presbyterian church completely different, uh, you know, the kind where you have to stand up together and then sit down and stand up. And um, again, I love Presbyterians. I, I love their teaching of the word, Timothy Keller, people like that. I realize that some of, this is why I'm sharing this. I realize that some of you are from this kind of background, right? And uh, I remember I went to service, and after service, I had to ask my friend, I was like, so am I allowed to raise my hand? I just was so nervous that I, it was a completely different environment for me. And I was scared that for them it was unbiblical to raise our hands. And some of you are from those kinds of backgrounds. You, you come to a church like Hilltop. We love that you're here, part of a family. But it's like, why is everyone jumping up and down? Why is that happening? But you see, if you read the Psalms... You'll see there's a constant expression of shouts of praise, of singing melodies to the king, of clapping, of jumping and dancing before the Lord. It's not just because charismatics are crazy. It's because we're biblical. For instance, uh, in, again, this, this theme of worship, the joys of a longing heart. I'm just trying to paint a picture of what does it look like to long for the Lord. If you're in that place of, I, I kind of have, an, I have my appetite kind of wet. I, I, I kind of, I, I want that longing, but how does it look? Just start singing to him. Just start dancing. You know when Will or Pastor Daryl start instructing us, singing your own song. You might think, why are they doing that? It's because that's where the, the love starts bubbling up in our souls. God gave us the gift of music so that we would fall in love with him. But for instance, like Psalm uh, 63, okay, uh, maybe we'll have that on the slides as well, but Psalm 63, verse 1, again, it's one of those, those psalms that's talking about the burning for the Lord. This is by King David. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. And what does it say? Verse 2, so I have looked upon you, where? In the sanctuary. Beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, what does it say? My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hand. There's that intricate relationship between longing for the Lord and the joys that come with praising him, like it says in Psalm 16. Uh, in, your, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures then you start beginning to shift from, oh, longing for God is just this, you know, legalistic, religious thing. It's such a burden. And then you realize, oh, if I only taste of the divine delights, then I will long for that. Once I taste and see that the Lord, Lord is good, once I'm satisfied by him, then I will long for that. You know, we've received many um, prophetic words over our community, specifically about worship. 
I pray that we would uh, re-engage with those prophetic words once again. Worship is not just a side activity. Singing songs to Jesus isn't just a, you know, appetizer for the preaching or just a kind of makes me feel good. There is power that is released in the place of praise. There is transformation in our hearts. Some of us just need to open our lips and sing. Some of us just need to start raising our hands. These are not just, we're not just trying to put on a show for people. This is because somehow God has mandated that in the place of praise, that our hearts would begin to long for him, that we would faint for him. Well, I, I, I think we have enough time, so I just want to kind of close um, with something that the Lord put on my heart for this community, because I almost feel like this psalm is almost a uh, prophetic encouragement, the Psalm 84, uh, for our community, and specifically, you know, when you think about um, the, the sons of Korah saying, I would rather be a doorkeeper, you know, you think about them saying, Lord, I, I love the assignment that you've given me. You know, I've, I, I love the portion. You know, whether, whether you're a nurse in the ER, whether you're a teacher, whether you're, you're you know, a, a, in a law firm, you know, whatever it is. I I love where you've placed me. I love your mandate over my life. And having that kind of longing for the Lord in the midst of that. But I I began to think about just the mandate of our family. And that we would continue to burn with, with the mandate that we would raise up a house of prayer in this city. And we would say, Lord, we love, we love building your house of prayer. We love being doorkeepers at your house of prayer. And I began to look into this because, interestingly, in, in 1 Chronicles 9 and, and 1 Chronicles 26, uh, if you look at the sons of Korah, they're actually, this is wild, I don't know, I just blew my mind, but they're, they're actually, they're posted uh, on the walls around Jerusalem. So some of them are assigned to the temple, some of them are posted around walls, they were watchmen. Now, if you think about watchmen, some of you, again, this might seem like new language. Watchmen is something that is a cry of our community, of our family, is that the Lord would raise up watchmen. What does that mean? So, for instance, in uh, Isaiah 62, there's language like this throughout the Old Testament. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. See, what the Lord is saying is just like the watchmen kind of wait and, and look out at the horizon and just wait to see, are there enemies coming? Are there, are there uh, allies coming? In that same way, the Lord says, I'm going to raise up people who are spiritually watchmen and who will wait for me until I deliver Israel. So that, that, is a, that is a word for our community. That's something that we often pray. We say, Lord, would you, would you make us watchmen on the walls? Lord, will we wait for you as the watchmen wait for dawn? I mean, even if you think about like night watch, that's not, you know, Allegra leads night watch. You guys should definitely go to that. It's an awesome time every time it happens. But that word night watch is not just a cool phrase. That's talking about keeping watch in the night. But I began to think about this. And I looked into this, and sure enough, actually, uh, in, in 1 Chronicles 9, it actually talks about, uh, and, and you can look at it on your own, it's, um, it's 1 Chronicles 9, uh, 
uh, verse 27, but it actually describes how, uh, that the sons of Korah, their divine uh, mandate as the doorkeepers, their specific assignment was to keep watch. And that word for watch is the exact same word, when, and it says in Isaiah, I've set watchmen on the walls. And I began to think about this, and, 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 and basically when the sons of Korah are crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, I would rather be a doorkeeper, I think something just started bubbling up in my spirit where it says, like, like they're, they're basically saying, Lord, I would rather be a watchman waiting for you. That's what a doorkeeper's job was. And I began to think about our community. It's very, my heart specifically goes out to the prayer set leaders. You know, I've been a prayer set leader now for four years, and it's not 12 years, but it's also not a short time. And I know what it's like driving the car up to my house 30 minutes, or from my house 30 minutes. I know it, it can get dreary. But it almost as a call to, as a family here at Hilltop, are we still signed up? Do we still say, Lord, I would rather be a doorkeeper? Or do we need something better or more exciting? Do, do we still have it in our hearts burning inside after all these years? Lord, I would rather be a watchman on the walls. Lord, I would rather be an intercessor here in Cambridge. Lord, I would rather be a gatekeeper here in New England. Or has it just become a religious duty of, yeah, I got to go to another prayer set? The Lord is looking for those that would be willing to be humble doorkeepers. <laughs> Where we say, you know what, this may not be the most exciting thing in the world. But God, I'm still here at your house. I'm still here at the threshold of the house. I'm still here gatekeeping here in New England. Lord, would I be a faithful doorkeeper? Lord, would I be a faithful watchman? Lord, would I still have that longing and fainting after you, burning upon my heart that it would not just be a matter of religious exercise, religious duty, but it would be a matter of longing for the Lord. And so, yeah, I just want to pray for us and... Um, If uh, I just have it in my heart because I have wrestled with this issue of longing for, for, for some time now. If, if you have any questions, I, uh, you know, please come speak to me after service. If, the, if you're like, this, you know, this is very new to me. Um, if, you're, if you're new here, uh, we're so glad that you're here. But, you know, my goal today is just to uh, express from my heart just that every single one of us would be so in love with God and that we would have that longing on our hearts and that we would not let five years go by without that spark of love. But when we're in those dry seasons, we cry out, Lord, would you make my heart long for you as at first? And so God, um, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that, that does what no man can do. Lord, that uh, you would insert these words deep into our hearts, beyond even just our comprehension, and that when we leave here uh, this morning, Lord, that we would re-sign up for that place of longing. Lord, that you would make us to faint after you, Lord. Lord, that we would be consumed with longing for you once again. Lord, would you spark the fires of our romance with you once again. Lord, that you would bring us back to our first love once again. And that we would not live our lives complacent 
with just a mediocre Christianity, with just a mediocre relationship with you, but that we would be burning in love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John Cho. Thank you, John Cho. Uh, for